paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. I've been searching, seeking, my whole life. And now, finally, we meet. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Jake Watchdell, the director and co-writer of Link from 2021. The film is available now for you to rent, download, probably even see it in the theaters if you're lucky enough. It is the rare sci-fi film from Cambodia. I hope you enjoy the film, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Tell me more about you. I'm so curious how you got into filmmaking. My love of filmmaking began, I grew up in Palo Alto, where there's an old uh, classic movie theater, the Stanford Theater on University Avenue. And, and when I was 12 years old, there was an Alfred Hitchcock film festival there. And I went and I did like a triple feature. I saw um, North by Northwest and Rope and Vertigo. And I just like couldn't, my 12 year old brain was flabbergasted that a movies in black and white could be so thrilling. And I went home and grabbed my parents' VHS camera and tried to make some version of North by Northwest with my little sister and and some friends. That was the beginning. Kind of from that moment, I always found myself loving to, to play around with the camera. I studied film studies at school, and I took a class on the history of world cinema. That really opened my mind, understanding this sort of magical power of cinema to collapse distance and bring you intimately into contact with people's lives who are so far away and watching Satyajit Ray and Ozu was like that, that kind of stuff was a, was another big step in my development. And so then when I, I mean, I, I grew up in the Palo Alto bubble and when I got out after, after finishing university, I got out and started traveling and seeing that there are so many other ways to live a life out there and kind of fell in love 
with traveling for the same reason that I had really fallen in love with filmmaking and ended up finding finding work for many years as a freelance filmmaker working for social impact ventures and nonprofits working in the in the global south largely and in this field of development we can say but putting quotes around it and and I got to spend a lot of time thinking about in that time I was making a lot of these kind of short documentary style projects for for these groups where I would go I would do user stories I would spend a week in a community and getting to know like worked a lot for this group that's miracle feet they're working to eradicate clubfoot around the world doing really amazing work and and you know and I'd be with a family in in Mumbai who's living up in the 30th floor of a skyscraper as it's being built the father's a construction worker and and the son was born with clubfoot and and now he's gotten treatment and and this kind of thing where I was I was like spending time with families that lived very different lives than the the one that I lived growing up in Palo Alto and thinking a lot about kind of the politics of storytelling and who gets to tell what stories what what are the stories that we respond to when when we you know coming from America are are witnessing stories like this and feeling like it was a really cool job but also one that made me deeply uncomfortable in a lot of ways and led me down this path of wanting to I found a gig for teaching filmmaking for a year in Cambodia and that really appealed me to get appealed to me to get to know a single community on a much deeper level and also work with kids in the community to empower them to tell their own stories and like how how do they want to do that and and so I was doing that for a year super cool in a year you can go really go really deep in into the various aspects of filmmaking we did a whole like month long unit on storyboarding and camera angles and that was incredible i got to know my students really well really fell in love with their community and and it was at the end of that year that i had the idea for karma link the first seed of the idea popped popped into my head i didn't go over there thinking you know it's funny i grew up wanting to be a director that was my dream from that from the time that i saw that alfred hitchcock film festival i people asked me what do you want to be when you grow up and i just settled on director and it was something that i always really loved but then travel opened my mind and made me want to participate in issues around development and and global justice and and then i found myself coming back after going on this long journey of travel and filmmaking yeah for ngos then i kind of came full circle came back to narrative filmmaking but from this perspective that had been shaped by all of those experiences and and wanting to tell a story set in this community that i had really that i had really fallen in love with so when did you get to cambodia and what were the ages of your students i arrived in cambodia to teach in 2014 i actually i traveled there in 2010 as a backpacker and that was a like totally mind-blowing experience that like vastly altered the trajectory of my life cambodia was the site where i i taught or i i filmed my first sort of ngo video some years later and then i moved there in 2014 that's when i lived there for a year my students were there were three classes age 11 through 17 yeah three classes we met four or five times a week and and i was working with students in these two neighborhoods Charlotte Beck and Trop Anchuk that had their fair share of of social issues and people living and i was pitched i was like you're going to be teaching the kids who are in one neighborhood is like 
red light district and the other one has a lot of drug problems. The, that stuff was happening, but bulk of the neighborhood is just families living their lives and doing their thing and dealing with like severe inequality, but still like living beautiful, meaningful lives and lives that have so much in common with the life I lived back home. That was a little tangent, but that's what comes up for me when I'm thinking about this. Yeah. Where I was teaching, who my students were. And, and I think also like what, what struck me most when I arrived teaching, how different that is from the stories or the portraits we get of people who are living in these, you know, in these kinds of neighborhoods. We did a unit on sort of critical watching of media. And we talked about acting and we talked about camera angles and they all they wanted to do was make ghost movies because ghost movies are the most popular movies in Cambodia and, and ghosts are very, very important in the culture. And, um, and we did, you know, we did music videos and public service announcements and we did silent movies. Yeah. All this, all this stuff, stop, little stop motion animation, which I was obsessed with too. When I was, when I was younger, was there a language barrier for you? My youngest class, there's a, another teacher at the center, Huang, who became the, the director of the center, a young Cambodian guy. He was a few years younger than me. And, and he became my co-teacher in the youngest class in the middle and oldest class. We were, I mean, they, the oldest class, they spoke English pretty flawlessly. In the middle class, we found a way to get by. And the youngest class I, I co-taught with Huang and, and, and Huang became really instrumental. He, he became a sounding board as I started working on Karma Link and I was talking through all of the ideas. There, we had a lot of, a lot of conversations. I enrolled at the Institute of Foreign Languages to learn Khmer when I showed up. So sort of as the year went on, I was able to handle more and more myself. And, and I've always really loved languages and it was super fun to learn a whole new alphabet and learn like the film terminology. I can tell you all about like, medium shots and close-ups in Kamai now. And I also, I, I was teaching the kids ukulele lessons. I, I love the ukulele. And so a bunch of ukuleles and, and they were teaching me pop songs in Kamai so that we could learn them together. How did you meet Christopher Larson? I met Christopher Larson in the Luang Prabang Film Festival in Northern Laos. I want to say that was in 2017, 2018. Yeah. Anyway, 20... At the time, I had already met Maddie Doe, Chris's wife and collaborator. She's an amazing director of social-leaning horror films in Laos. And I met her at the Cambodia International Film Festival. Then I, so I like reconnected with her at this film festival in Laos and met her husband, Chris, who I was kind of in, in like getting to talk to him. I had been, I told him that I'd been working on this little sci-fi script in Cambodia, but I was, I was stuck. I had, I had topped out at where I felt like I could get it to. And it was my first time doing this and I didn't know what I was doing. And would he please like read it and give me his, his advice? Cause I, I have so much respect for the work he does. And he came back with this like dense pitch of how he would rewrite the film and things that he would consider if you were to come on board. And I was like, Oh man, actually I've been secretly praying for a co-writer. Thank God <laughs> that began this collaboration where he picked the script apart and rebuilt it from the ground up in a way that was really exciting for me to just witness. I mean, balance of creativity, but also like, like workhorse every day he's getting his pages done. And I went to Vien Chien and stayed in their house a little bit and 
we had these like little retreats where we would brainstorm where the next draft was going. We did that a few times. And yeah, it was a miracle because I'd been working on the script for like a year and it was not there. And then Chris came on board and complexified it in the most beautiful way and really teased out a lot of the themes around memory, which is such an integral part of the film. And, and also just like, you know, I'd had this idea that I wanted it to feel like it was riffing on the Goonies. And that was a little bit in my draft, but Chris is so steeped in, in cinematic history. And, and so he was able to, to really knock it out of the park and all of those, all of those dreams that I had that I, that I was thinking about, but didn't know how to execute. Tell me about your crew and how you got them. The, yeah. The crew is 85% Kamai. We had a, a couple. Department heads, DP, production designer, set deck came, first AD came from America. A few other people, our sound, sound designer, Vincent Villa is French guy, but living in Cambodia for many years. But by and large, it was a, it was a Cambodian crew, which for me was a big motivating factor of why I wanted to make this movie in the first place was just to get to know Cambodia and work more deeply, collaborate with Cambodians on a crazy art project. But also that felt like an essential ingredient for me as an outsider to, to even contemplate telling a Cambodian story was to be surrounded by people who, who could, who could keep the story in check and keep it flowing in the, in the right direction. The story is about collisions and collisions between East and West and, and, and tradition, modernity, science and religion, all this stuff behind the scenes. We had, you know, this collaboration, people coming from wildly different cultures. And there were moments of tension, but there were also moments of like super productive and fruitful, like, well, this, here's a new thing that's arising out of, out of the fact that we're bringing these different perspectives together. You're checking all the boxes that you're not supposed to do on your first film. We also got some like period stuff going on. We even have a dog in there. I think that that was part of the reason why I did it is I like this idea of swinging for the fences. Were any of your former students involved? The two lead characters were my star students in my youngest film class, Lang Hang and Smiley. And I actually, I wrote the script. I conceived of the story with the two of them in mind, basing those characters on their personality. You have Lang Hang, the consummate dreamer, Head in the clouds, super open heart, and Sreliak, the little girl who's a head shorter than everyone else, doesn't take shit off of anyone, and is like, you know, leagues smarter than everyone around her, and can kind of piece things together. That was kind of built in from the beginning to the project, and I don't know what I would have done. I remember I, after getting that first draft of the script done, I like pitched it to them and was like, Hey, do you guys want to try shooting a test scene? I, I wrote this whole movie based on like you guys, they were really into the film class. And, and so I wasn't surprised that they were excited and that they did an amazing job, but it was also a big relief because we, yeah, we did that test shoot and that gave me a lot of fire, a lot of energy to want to make the thing. And then I also had this beautiful little, video that I could show other collaborators and be like, this is the anchor of the film is the relationship between these two kids. When did you start shooting? We shot the film in early 2019. It's been a long, long journey. Part of the ambition of the project has meant that it's taken a lot longer than I would have told you if, if you had asked me when, when we started, when we started out on this process. Did the pandemic affect you at all? Pandemic, we were in post by the time the pandemic rolled around. 
And it had the lovely effect of telling us, like, don't rush, slow down. There's no need to hurry through this. And so we were able to take a lot longer on a bunch of stuff. Mainly, it's, it was edit and the visual effects where that paid big dividends as we could, we had time to keep working on it. And our VFX artists, two guys doing 300 shots, just amazing and going so above and beyond what our initial conversations were. That was so cool to see how it evolved and how, how much they cared about serving the story and being really thoughtful. A sci-fi movie is dead in the water if the effects take you out of it. And we have a lot of effects for like a little indie movie. And, and so I feel really indebted to Blaze and Michael and their, their work on bringing this near future world in Cambodia to life. Tell me about when you get to see the film for the first time with an audience. Well, we did a lot of test screenings, which is interesting. And, and the edit evolved quite a bit through those test screenings. The first time, though, that I really watched it with more or less like the pieces in place, I went back to Cambodia to do the sound design with, with Vincent Villa, our sound designer. It was cool. That oh, This is another thing where the pandemic, it was like a big silver lining for our project, was we got to mix in an actual movie theater in Phnom Penh. Benson brought his like mixing console into the theater. We had a couple weeks in there, which is just, I can't imagine getting to do that in any other circumstance. And so when we got to the end of that process, we did a screening for casting crew in Cambodia. And that was the first time and super meaningful. And all these people who had worked so hard and really dedicated themselves to this project, which is really unprecedented in Cambodia. Nothing has been made like this there. And, you know, and there's a lot of VFX and we shot it totally out of order. And, I think it's hard to get a sense of the bigger picture and, and like, you know, there's a lot of trust and how is it going to come together? And so getting to watch it with the crew and hearing their gasps when the big augmented reality display spreads out across Langhang's face or, or we see the futuristic skyline to just like talk to them about their feelings about the story and their pride of, of making this thing. That was really cool. And then. The next time, really, that we watched with an audience was our premiere in Venice, which was a totally different experience from watching it with the casting crew. Very exciting in its own ways to go. I was living in rural Cambodia before Venice, so that was a big switch to go from Cambodia to Venice. I think that one of the things that's been super gratifying on the festival circuit is it's a dense movie with a lot going on. There's socio-political Cambodia aspect of it. There's there's sci-fi. There's past lives, and there's kind of on the my like cinephile side, the Goonies, Minority Report, and the Matrix, and all these like you know references that I'm drawing on and blending together. With seeing how how people were responding to the different parts of it, you know, I've had a lot of people want to come up afterwards and talk to me about their own past life experiences, which I love. People who they went to Cambodia and had a really meaningful connection the same way that I did. And, and so they, they were drawn to it for that. And then they get to see this vision of the future in Cambodia and respond to that. There was a moment when I was worried, you know, it's like a mix, a mishmash of all these things. And, and you have all these circles and maybe it's only the center of the Venn diagram where you find the people who like, who, who, who want to watch this like Buddhist sci-fi, but found that people have been responding to so many different aspects of the these overlapping elements. So what is the state of the film now? Is it getting a general release or going on demand? Yes. So we are 
releasing on July 15th. We're doing a limited theatrical on the West Coast and it's going on demand. It'll be available on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, in, you know, here in, in North America. And how about you? What are you working on now? I am writing more near future sci-fi, grounded sci-fi. I really like this space a lot. And I'm specifically thinking about ideas of utopia. And a lot of these ideas are in the, in the space of climate and trying to think of stories set in near futures where we are doing a better job than we're currently doing of taking care of our planet and each other. You know, what are some hopeful futures? What could that look like and feel like on a technological level, but also culturally and politically and philosophically? We get a lot of dystopias in the realm of sci-fi, and I think that there's a need for more positive visions for the future. So trying to crack the puzzle of like, what are compelling stories that are set in that space? Well, Jake Wachtel, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Instant karma is going to get you. Going to knock you right in the head. Better get yourself together, darling. Pretty soon you're going to be dead. What in the world are you thinking of? Loving in the face of love. yourself together, darling, join the human race. How in the world are you gonna see, loving at fools like me, who on earth you think you are, a superstar, well how right you are, but we all shine on, like the moon and the stars and the sun, but we all shine on. Everyone, come on Instant karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you off your feet Better recognize your brothers Everyone you meet Why in the world are we here? Surely not to live in pain and fear Why on earth are you there? When you're everywhere Gonna get your share when we all shine on Like the moon and the stars and the sun Will we all shine